you know, it was just kind of this surreal moment. I'm sitting at my desk, like just kind of tearing up a little bit because it was just such an awesome moment for baseball and for women in baseball and for women in sports. Um, what this meant for, to, you know, for little girls who want to get into sports. I mean, it was just such a cool moment. And I'm kind of like getting you know goosebumps right now thinking about it because, you know, I, you just can't overstate the importance of what the hire means. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by MLB.com baseball writer and Cardinals beat writer Annie Rogers. Wanted to talk to Annie for a lot of different reasons. One, it's a rather big week for baseball, uh, an opportune week for the Cardinals, I believe, even though they had to make a tough decision, right, Annie, like with non-tender. So now there's a whole bunch of names in the galaxy. Um, for them to chase did you did you how did non-tender day kind of pass for you well it was as a lot of things with baseball you know waiting and waiting and waiting until the deadline and then here we go lots of activity so um no I I thought that the names that came out were I mean a lot were expected a lot some were surprising and and some were extremely notable especially for the Cardinals as they look to you know upgrade their offense and um, in what could be a, an interesting and maybe cold hot stove season, I suppose you could say. <laughs> <laughs> like the cold stone creamery of hot stoves. Yeah, exactly. I think that works. I think we're all searching for the right phrase for it. I know. It's, it's it might, might, might not like be, get hot, but it could warm a little bit maybe. Names, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> It's it's the thaw stove. Yes. That's what we'll just call it. The thaw stove. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, the the Cardinals' news is that they did not tender a contract to John Brebia, um, who was the only arbitration eligible player who didn't get a contract offer. And then Ron Ravello was also not tendered a contract. He was a zero to three player, um, technical terms. But that clears two spots on the roster. The decisions to me, the you know, there, there weren't financial decisions there. They, there was roster decisions there. They prioritized having an open roster spot over committing it to John Brebbia, who would have spent, you know, the first month, uh, well, all of spring training and maybe the first month of the season on rehab. And so they just didn't want to commit that roster spot. Did that catch your ear a little bit that they didn't move on, say from like a John Gant who, they have a lot of depth at that position. They could have lopped off, you know, a hundred, you know, one point five, one point seven million right there if they were really into reducing payroll. Yeah, I thought that it was definitely a possibility. Um, he was, you know, absolutely candidate. I thought that maybe they could also um, look to trade him um, before the deadline as well because he he ha- he has some value for sure. But you're absolutely right. It it wasn't a um, payroll decision um, here. I mean, obviously they're they're saving a little bit of money with without Brebbia's arbitration salary, but more it was just, you know, what the, the unknown of what he'd bring for next year and, and what his role and what his roster spot would look like. So it was kind of interesting, you know, in a, in an off season where all we're talking about is their financials, you know, their decisions were purely roster based. We're going to dive into the names that became available later in the podcast and discuss if there are some options there to, uh, let's say beef up the Cardinals lineup or improve the offense, which does increasingly seem like a priority for the team within the landscape of possibly reduced payroll. 
and all the unknowns that go into whether there'll be a DH or how many games they'll play and everything like that. But I wanted to talk to Annie too about the hiring of Kim Eng and the conversations you had for a story. And we'll get into that after I tell people about our sponsor. Imagine your home totally organized. Closet by Design of St. Louis can help you get organized with 40% off plus an additional 15% off and get free installation. That's Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN today. That's 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. 1-800-BY-DESIGN, Closet by Design of St. Louis. Annie, well, t- take me back to the, like kind of the day that Kimming was announced as the general manager of the Miami Marlins, and then how your story, that assignment, that idea came together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was a Friday, and um, I was working on some stuff um, for work, for work, obviously, and uh, I had actually just taken my dog to the vet, so I was like thinking about him. I was like you know, I'm going to go to Starbucks after I pick him up, get him a little pup cup, um, you know, because he did a good job at the vet. And then all of a sudden I get a tweet notification um, saying that the Marlins were going to hire Kim Ng. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I obviously had known her name. Um, I know how qualified she was, but I had no idea, like a lot of people, that she was even in the running for this job. And once I kind of like got on Twitter and started seeing that, you know, this was real. And I think the Marlins announced it officially a few minutes after um, the news broke, you know, it was just kind of this surreal moment. I'm sitting at my desk, like just kind of tearing up a little bit because it was just such an awesome moment for baseball and for women in baseball and for women in sports. Um, And you could, you know, you would scroll through Twitter and see all of these, stories about Kim and you would see, you know, what this means for women, what this meant for, you know, for little girls who want to get into sports. I mean, it was just such a cool moment. And I'm kind of like getting, you know, goosebumps right now thinking about it because, you know, you just can't overstate the importance of what the hire meant or means um, and just the passion that kind of emanated from everybody, um, around the baseball world after it happened. So, you know, I, I knew I kind of wanted to write about it. I didn't know exactly what angle I wanted to take. Um, and then, you know, my bosses were kind of putting together a budget, um, you know, looking at all these angles after the hire and what they wanted the writers to do. And, and they pegged me for um, this reaction story um, of, around women in baseball and women who have broken barriers um, in baseball before. and. So I was really excited about that opportunity and I started making calls and and getting in contact with people like Susan Waldman, the Yankees broadcaster, Alyssa Nacken, the Giants coach, um, all these, uh, Justine Siegel, who was the first um, woman's professional coach in in baseball. She coached in the minor leagues. And so it was just such a cool assignment for me to do um, because A, I was talking to all of these amazing women that I'd you know, had heard about, I've never met before, but, you know, I've been cheering them on, obviously, like, as they have kind of progressed through their journey, and I finally got to talk to them, and um, just hearing their, their thoughts on what this high, what Kim's hire means for them, and for, you know, their mission, and improving equality in the game, and then just personally, and in the community, in the women in baseball community, it, it was just such 
it, it was just such a cool afternoon that I spent. And then writing the story was even more fun because I got to put, you know, those words um, on paper and and hopefully, you know, I was able to kind of bring out the passion um, that those women spoke with and have it kind of jump off the page for for readers. That definitely had. And, and can you kind of re- recreate maybe some of the conversations you heard? I mean, the, the, or the stories, I guess, you heard. I mean, you know, Susan Waldman with the Yankees, as you mentioned, she had a great story about how she found out. Uh, there just were, it seems like there were a lot of, like, moments that they wanted to share um, similar to what you described as to when they found out and what it meant. It didn't mean saying, okay, it's finally happened. It almost meant like, all right, well, when's it going to happen again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first question I asked everybody that I called was, when did you find out and what was your first reaction? Because I knew from experience, obviously from that morning, like it was just such a, oh my gosh, what what's happening? What are we doing? This is amazing kind of moment. I knew everybody would have that similar reaction, but also different things um, that they were doing. And, you know, like you mentioned, Susan had, she had texted a friend in the Marlins organization and asked, um, is this real? Like, because I'm about to start crying and I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be wrong. And then, you know, Alyssa Nacken was with, um, or she was texting in her, in her group chat with all of these women in baseball. And, you know, I can imagine how crazy that group chat was going because, my own group chats with other friends around, you know, around sports and in the media were just, it was just blowing up because all of us were so excited. Um, so hearing those kinds of stories was really inspiring for me. And also it was just fun to talk to them because it wasn't really an interview. It was just a conversation about how cool this moment was for women. And um, it was very, you know, they were all really relatable in, in their reactions and and we were just kind of sharing that excitement and that passion um, together. And that's, I think that's what made the story so fun to write. Annie, how do you think it changes conversations for young baseball writers coming up? I mean, I know well, the first time I met you was well, you were a student at Mizzou and I believe it was at Vanderbilt, yeah. right? At the journalism conference there, right? With um, Buster Olney and stuff. And, you know, your interest in being a baseball writer, your interest in baseball was very clear then. Uh, do you think it changes the conversation in all con- in all scopes of, of, of people working their way towards baseball, young women working their way towards some per- part of baseball? I do. I think it absolutely changes it. Um, I go back to, like, my own experience in college um, and even before that in high school. Um, when I decided that this was something that I wanted to do on journalism, sports journalism, I wasn't sure what sport, but eventually that became baseball from pretty early on in my college career. Um, but I just, I could see people in the role. I could see people who looked like me in that, in that role already. And I, that's how I knew I could do it. Um, seeing Jen Langosh, who had this job before me and who's now a manager at MLB.com, you know, seeing her do this job seeing her write about baseball showed me that I could write about baseball. And, um, and I think that is, that's all over the game um, in front offices in on coaching staffs, um, you know, having Kim Ng running a team, running a full baseball team. I mean, I don't think you can overstate the just magnitude of what that means um, for young women, for little girls, for young women looking, you know, wondering what they want to do with their life and seeing, you know, 
seeing a woman run a baseball team and thinking I can do that. Um, that, that speaks a lot to, you know, what we want this game to be and, you know, what this game can be. Um, so I'm really excited to see where this goes and I hope it doesn't stop with Kim Ng. I hope that, you know, more people hire qualified women, um, to do these types of jobs, you know, whether that's, like I said, in front offices or in coaching on coaching staffs or on training staffs or in the media, um, because, you know, we bring a really important perspective and, you know, all the people who want these jobs are qualified to do it. Um, and so I hope that, you know, I hope that the people hiring in these positions recognize that and, and can continue to further, um, further all of that and further equality in the game and, and things like that. I think, I think uh, it's, it's kind of a turning point. I mean, I hope it's a turning point. I guess I don't know, but I really do hope it is. Do you, do you at all think that there might be like pressure on Kim then to, I guess, have success? I mean, the, you know, the Marlins, baseball can be a bottom line business, really. I mean, it's what you are in the standings, what you build in the farm system. I mean, what kind of pressure then does that put on her? Do you, do you worry that it will be more significant than, say, had they made another hire? Yeah, I think there's always going to be pressure. Um, you know, people are going to be scrutinizing her every move. I think it's really, and maybe it's up to the people who cover her to put it in, into perspective. I mean, you know, they need to cover her the same way that they would cover any GM um, and kind of take take the gender out of it um, because it's it's a hard job. And, you know, from... Well, we know there's a lot of moving parts to it. And so she's going to be scrutinized with every move, but we have to kind of put it into context and, and keep that perspective. Um, I mean, anytime someone breaks a barrier, they have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, you saw it this past weekend with Sarah Fuller um, becoming, you know, kicking off for Vanderbilt against Mizzou um, in college football, that she had to be absolutely perfect. I and mean, there's people who scrutinized her every single move. Um, even though what she did was a design squib kick, you know, I don't mean to get off of the baseball topic, but that's just another, no, that's fine. I mean, it's just another example of how, if you break a barrier, you have to be absolutely perfect and you cannot make a mistake. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of pressure on Kim Ng to do that, but I know that she will, she's absolutely qualified, overqualified to do this job and she's going to do the best job that she can in the role that she is. Um, and I'm really excited to see where that organization goes. Was, was that a sentiment that the people you interviewed shared with as well, that like, you know, you gotta be, you know, there's gonna be more attention and thus there's gonna be maybe more criticism when you when you are the first to do something? Is, is that, was that a sentiment that was shared by the people that you interviewed? Yeah, absolutely. And those women have gone through that. Um, you know, I was talking to Alyssa Nackin, the Giants coach, and she was just, saying the exact same thing, you know, when I, when this happened to me, you know, I knew from the start that, you know, it was going to be a pressure filled environment, not only because it's uh, already a pressure filled environment in baseball, but also because of what I mean and what I've, you know, what I've just done and becoming the first um, and all of the women that I talked to, you know, Susan is a great example. She, she talked about how um, just how overqualified Kim was and how she needed to be that overqualified to get the job. Um, and how that isn't, you know, that isn't great, but it's what needed to happen. And 
Um, and now here we are. So I think, yeah, all the women totally understand, totally understood that um, just from their own experiences and then seeing what others have done throughout the industry when they kind of become the first to do something. Yeah, Kim Ang, just to, so if people don't know, like her story, she was in Chicago, university student, um, started to work for the Sox. Uh, that's how she got into baseball. Uh, met Dan Evans, who became a champion, moved around, went to the Dodgers, um, worked there in their front office for a while, was definitely, got many advocates there, including Ned Coletti, for any opening in the GMs around baseball, um, worked for the Yankees as well did some time with the commissioner's office. So you're talking about the full scope oh of gosh, yeah. baseball, really. Um, I mean, there's if there's an element of baseball management, meaning like kind of the business side, but also the construction of a roster side, she dabbled in every bit of it and got experience at the highest level in every bit of it, and yet wasn't quite cracking the the next step and now did. Yeah, um, I think that, I think it was... I think it was Susan Waldman that said uh, she's maybe she might be the most overqualified first time GM there ever was um, because she's just done everything. And, <laughs> you know, Susan, she knows Kim from her time at the Yankees um, really well. And right. she said that, you know, whenever whatever Kim didn't know, she went out to learn and she wanted to learn as much as she could about it. And I think that is a good example or I guess um description of what she what she can bring to the Marlins front office you know she is the type of person who um surrounds herself with people who will teach her things and she'll learn from um and that's kind of what got her there um and I think that's it's really admirable and and kind of inspiring just for everybody not just for women in sports but for everybody to say hey you know if you don't know something you know go out and and learn it and you know surround yourself with people who do know it and learn from them and, and, you know, take advantage of those opportunities. Absolutely. Like it, you know, neither you or I know what it's like to field a ground ball at shortstop at the major league level, but we at least know the right question to ask to try to understand it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that that's part of the job. Yeah. That is right? the job is to, you know, that's why we ask questions. Um, and that's why we hope, you know, people can, can answer those questions is, because we want to, you know, give, you know, give the Raiders um, exactly what, you know, the right, the right description or the right answers. Um, and so we have to go out and find them. You, uh, you also spoke to Rachel Balkovich, I believe, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like for the Yankee strength. She, so she got her start with the Cardinals, which was, um, you know, working with uh, the Cardinals as an athletic trainer, a lot of time in Jupiter and everything like that. And, and one of the things that she said to you that I thought was so fascinating um, and really like, really telling and probably echoes a little bit from your story it was the the, this notion and i want to read it here she said it changes the conversation from oh it's never been done to oh well kim's doing it so you can too she said but it you know it it the importance of that cannot be overstated and the fact that like jeter was involved you know derek jeter who runs the marlins was involved and just this notion that okay and then i you know that Okay, now there's somebody who said, well, they're doing it. So you, you don't have the phrase of, well, you'd be the first to do it. Or, well, it's never been done. And I think there was also, oh, it was Nacken who said that uh, you're not letting your shoulders relax. It, you know, you enjoy the moment, but you kind of move forward and, and use it to, you know, kind of press on. I, I thought these were really thought, you know, compelling thoughts as to what the watershed moment meant. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they know from experience, right? Um 
Alyssa knows that this happens and the announcement is made and then it's kind of like it's go time like you know that you can't mm. you can't relax you know this is this is it um you you got to keep pushing forward and um you know doing the best that you can every single day and um you know like she said I thought that was such a great phrase like not letting your shoulders relax um because yeah. it was it's it's totally right I mean you know walking into work every day that um you you need to work you know, 10 times harder than your counterparts just to be on the same level as them um, because you are the first. And so, or you're the only, whether you're the only woman in the room. Um, I think that that speaks a lot to not just in baseball, but everywhere that women find themselves in um, the minority of, of their workplace or their school or, you know, wherever they might find themselves. Um, you kind of have that guard put up and, and you're ready. You know, you know, the work doesn't stop by just walking in that room. Um, and then with Rachel too, I think she brought up a great point of, you know, Derek Jeter being the one that became the first, you know, the first owner to hire a woman GM. Um, you know, I, I, this story is about women in baseball, but I don't want to, it would be remiss not to say that, you know, the reason that women are in baseball is because of the men that hire them. Um, and we need more men willing to hire women and put them in positions of power. You know, that's how we gain equality. Um, I always say that we need men in our corner and there are plenty of men in our corner, um, but you know, those supervisors and people high up in, in baseball operations, um, they need to also, you know, be willing and, and able to hire, hire qualified women to bring them out onto their teams or in, um, into the industry um, because that's how we advance equality. Yeah. And, and Kim being able to hire like a, a female coach yeah. or, you know, female scouts. I mean, that's, that's going to be part of this. That is going to be a, a fast or an important really. Um, I was about to say fascinating, but that doesn't even cover it, but like an important step for baseball to make because it can allow for diversity of thought, diversity of opinion, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of, of gender, diversity of, you know, I, I mean, Ethnicity, where people like, come from yeah. in the country, yeah. you know, ethnicity, all these things, you know, it can allow because you, you're the, the more hires that are made that are more diverse, the better the overall voice is probably going to be for baseball. Absolutely. And that was a sentiment shared by, you know, the woman I talked to for the story. It's just, you know, why, why alienate half of your population when you want to become the best team um, you can be, um, you know, bring women in, bring in their perspective and their thought and their ideas, um, you know, bring in, bring in, you know, people of all different races, people of all different backgrounds and, and ethnicities, like we're talking about cultures, because that's only going to, you know, make your team better um, because you're bringing in more ideas and, and ways to, you know, improve your team from within. You mentioned Fuller, who was the kicker for Vanderbilt at Mizzou in Columbia at, at a game that was not originally scheduled for that day, but was put on that day um, due to everything else that is odd and rewritten and improvisational this year, the coronavirus. But, um, you know, because of uh, people who were unavailable, players who aren't available on the Vanderbilt roster, Fuller came over from the women's soccer team to be the kicker for them uh, and had the squib kick that you mentioned so that she became the first woman to play for an sec school and a power five school i believe i have that right yeah. college football isn't exactly my field of play <laughs> uh and and i i want to tread lightly here because i know that like there's a political element here but just 
if you think in the past three weeks, right, past month, there's been a woman elected as vice president, Kim Ng with the Miami Marlins. There's been Fuller. There's been the announcement that the entire press corps or press relations corps, the, the White House communications group, they're all female for the Biden administration. You and I both have friends, close friends with young daughters. And and I know that this is probably a big question to ask, but can you imagine what that conversation is like now with young daughters just at the tail end of this past month about what's possible? No, I can't imagine. Um you know, I do have a young teenage sister, and I was talking to her. Um, she's in high school at, um, in Iowa, where I grew up, and I was talking to her about everything. And, you know, I just, the way that she's going to finish high school and the way that she's going to go into college, um, it's going to be completely different from even what I did um, just a few years ago, just because of everything that has happened. Um, you know, in sports and in politics and everywhere, you know, in businesses, you know, women are becoming leaders. And my sister Molly is going to have that to look up to and to see that she can do whatever she decides to do. Um, so she may, she's not, you know, a, a child, but she is um, a teenager that, you know, I, she's, you know, being molded right now into who she, into who the person she's going to become. And um, I just, I'm so proud that she's going to have these types of people to look up to and say, you know, I can do whatever they're doing or because this person, you know, broke a barrier in this industry, I'm going to break a barrier in this industry that I'm going to go into. Like that is just, that's just so powerful and important. And, you know, it, it's making me like get emotional because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Um, just the fact that women are now being treated as, you know, they can do these things and they can be powerful and independent and strong um, and lead whatever they would like, whatever they want to, um, you know, that's, it's just such a cool thing. And it's really, I mean, it's escalated over this past month, I guess, but, and if you look in baseball, like this past year has been really instrumental in bringing women into the game. Um, you know, a lot of women that I talked to for that story had just, you know, broken their barriers um, in the past year. Um, so I think that it's just been a big year um, for equality and for bringing new voices um, into the industry. Your younger sister also has a role model then in her older sister, because I don't know of anyone who has gone from college to being a beat writer of the Cardinals on a daily basis. So there you go. So you you were the first of any of anyone to, to do that, to leap straight from Mizzou and right into uh, right into the frying pan of covering baseball on an everyday base, basis. So there you go. Your sister can look up to you. Oh, yeah, I, I guess she does. Um, but I'm just yeah, I'm proud that she has lots of lots of role models. Let, let's talk about baseball then. Um, let's 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 get back to our beat writer kind of conversation. What how do you fix the Cardinals offense? There you go. Oh, man. How, That's how a do you good question. <laughs> Well, there's a lot of new faces on the market now, um, thanks to the non-tender deadline on Wednesday. So I think that, you know, the Cardinals, you know, are going to start exploring what bringing, you know, those additions in, um, what how they can help the team. Um, there's a lot of different ways that I think the Cardinals can upgrade their offense, um, whether it's, you know, getting creative with playing time, with platoons, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, bringing someone in who can, 
from the left side, uh, especially, you know, to complement some of their other outfielders. Um, I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. options out there right now, and now it's just about capitalizing on them. And, and I guess the Cardinals, um, uh, I guess, strategy would be to get the most bang for their buck. Yeah, value play as opposed to best player play. Who do you, who do you think is the best fit? The the non-tender deadline uh, released probably three notable left-handed hitting outfielders um, in Kyle Schwarber, Eddie Rosario, and David Dahl from the Rockies. Um, you covered the Rockies yeah. with Thomas Harding out there for MLB.com for a while and saw David Dahl. Um, I've talked a lot about him on this podcast probably enough that people were um, are, are bored by hearing <laughs> me bring him up. But – um, those seem to be the three left-handed out- hitting outfielders slash sluggers slash upside offensive players that stood out, unless I'm missing one. Yeah, I think those are the big three. Um, you know, there's a few right-handed hitters, too. Um, like, Duvall. Yeah. Right. Um, but I, I think David Dahl, and I agree with you um, that he would be a great fit. You know, obviously he's an injury-prone, um, and that is a concern. When I covered him in 2018, um, he was starting to establish himself in the lineup, but he had a foot fracture that kind of limited his time um, that season. But, you know, from mm-hmm. what I know about his personality, um, he's he'd be a great fit in the Cardinals clubhouse, um, which I know is, you know, obviously you look at on the field, you know, performance, but that is, but, you know, personality is a factor in bringing a player in. Um, and I think he'd be a really great fit in the Cardinals clubhouse. And then obviously in their lineup, um, if, you know, he can kind of stem those injuries um, and, and maybe, you know, a new, a new opportunity with a different team can kind of, you know, give him a new way of, you know, avoiding those injuries or, or something like that. Um, but I do think he'd be a great fit with the Cardinals and kind of what they're looking for as far as a way to improve their offense, um, kind of, you know, mixing and matching, what that outfield looks like on a day-to-day basis based on matchups. Um, and then also bringing in some power and, and some pop into their, into their lineup, which we all know that they need. Yeah. They might have to take a risk, right? right. I mean, that that's, that's the spot that they're in is that they're going to have to go for what might be like a medium cost, high reward, but possible no return kind of move. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what this offseason is off season is going to offer, um, you know, it's going, it might be a risk, but it, it's also going to be, you know, medium to low cost, like you said. Uh, and then you can also, it has a really high ceiling, kind of like um, Hunter Renfro. I know he wasn't technically non-tendered, but he was let go by the road. Yeah, he's still part of that group. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that he'd be also a great fit. Uh, I know that, you know, he had a really bad year in 2020, but he, you know, had shown improvement all three years with the Padres before he was traded. And I think that's kind of, that's a good sign that maybe 2020 wasn't, you know, you shouldn't put all your stock into that year. Right. Yeah. Such a small thing. Renfro is a fascinating guy. He and Duvall have some similarities, right? Both right-handed hitters, um, you know, power. Uh, Duvall hit 16 home runs this past year for that power-packed Marcelo Zuna, Freddie Freeman-led Braves team. Both low OBP guys, which is a contrast to what the Cardinals actually did well this past year. Of all the offensive things that they struggled with, one of the things they did do well was on base percentage, at least above the league average. They they got on base. They made fewer outs. They just didn't do a whole lot of damage. Do you do you think in th- they should prioritize damage in that, or maybe just try to find a better meld of OBP and OPS? I mean, it is 
Duvall or Renfro? Is that too far yeah. to the other side of the spectrum trying to get the power? Right. It's an interesting thought. Um, I do think that if you're going to get creative with your lineup and your outfield, um, you do want to mix, you, you do want to mix, you know, the OPP that, you know, the current outfielders bring with the thunder that bringing in a big bat would give you. Um, I think that Renfro especially has other attributes that make him a little bit more appealing to the Cardinals, despite that, despite that, despite that low OBP. Um, he's particularly his youth, you know, he's only 28. Um, his defense also is, is pretty good. Um, and, you know, I, you can't really overstate the importance of having that big bat. Um, they need a big bat in the lineup to complement you know, Paul Goldschmidt to add some production to the outfield. Um, you know, Mike Schild is a really creative guy. I know that he would um, kind of mix and match that those outfielders um, to the best of you know his ability to kind of maximize the production, uh, make sure people are getting on base, but also make sure those base runners are coming home. Yeah, a few crooked numbers wouldn't hurt them every so no, often. No, not at all. <laughs> What's your thoughts on Schwarber? Left-handed batter, out of the Cubs, uh, you know, non-tender, not a – not probably that big of a surprise given the, the 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 sparks of trouble that the the Cubs are talking about financially, at least that they're giving off. Now they did tender Bryant. It's still whether you know it's still an open question whether he makes it to the start of the season with the Cubs. Uh, Jed Hoyer has a lot of difficult decisions to make. One of them would be that whether they they keep Bryant for the year of control that they went to such trouble to get. Um, but Schwarber's a free agent now. He may re-sign with the Cubs at less, um, but he'll probably take – he should take other offers, see what other teams are out there. Um, does Do you think he's a fit for the Cardinals? Yeah, he might be. Um, I wonder kind of what his market looks like um, as far as price point um, because a lot of – like you said, a lot of teams will be interested. And I wonder if once we do, if we do ever figure out if there's going to be a DH in the NL, um, whether that changes things um, or if there's not, does he go more to an AL team? Um, because he can fit kind of in two spots there. Um, I think he'd be a fit for the Cardinals like we were talking about. You know, they need, you know, a little bit of thunder here and there wouldn't hurt. And that's what he can give. Like, like we said with Renfro, 2020 wasn't a great year, but you know, it was such a small sample size, it's hard to put a lot of stock into it. Um, and he's shown that he has the power. Um, it would be definitely, it's, I don't envy Jed Hoyer breaking up the core of that Cubs team. Um, that seems like a really hard job, not a fun job. Um, and I'm very interested to see how that kind of plays out this winter, um, to see where Bryant ends up on opening day, um, to see where Shorber is, um, you know, and, and things like that. It's going to be interesting to kind of see where, see where the north side goes, I suppose, um, this winter. Do you think Rosario, out of the Twins, he's he's led the Twins each of the past two years in RBIs, had more than 100 RBIs in 2019 for that, you know, big power home run record-setting group. Um, that 100 RBIs is something a Cardinal hasn't had in a long mm-hmm. time, come to think of it. Um, do you think he's the best of that group, um, that he likely will command – the the most attention for teams hungry for offense yeah I would I would say so it's probably the the top tier of just that group that became available um in the last few weeks I suppose um you know he's another guy who doesn't walk a ton uh he's he's free swinging you know but his pop his power you know 
might just, you can overlook some of those other things um, because he brings so much to the plate when he's able to make contact. Um, and he, I think you, you were talking about this uh, on Twitter maybe yesterday, but um, you know, hitting home runs at target field is, you know, that's appealing. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's probably the best. And I, I know that several teams will be, will be interested in, in bringing him on. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of how his market goes and what his price lands at. Um, and if the Cardinals will be in that at all, just because I, I'm not, you know, I wonder what their payroll situation is going to look like their financials, you know, right. what their budget looks like. They don't, I think they know yet um, because we don't know what 2020 is going to bring. 2021 is going to bring. Um, so I think. Yeah. We don't know what 2020 is going to bring. Yeah, that's either. true. There's, only there's still left, a lot. Of, we have no clue. <laughs> there's still a whole month left. I mean, there's a lot that can happen, unfortunately. Yeah. So I, the list of the best outfielders available is different. Like, Obviously, George Springer probably is a top of it, but let's let's consider like the yeah okay. So that makes so if you put all the new free agents in there, that's that's the way I want to ask this question. If you make a list of the top outfielders, it's gonna probably have you know George Springer uh, might have Rosario, Jock Peterson, um, Brantley. You know, there's there's gonna be some familiar names on there. It's a different list though. I I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong. If I ask you. What's the top three outfielders that are the best fit for the Cardinals in their situation? That are or maybe the best, the most likely fits, because the best fit again would probably be George Springer. Right. But we could say like, what are the most likely fits what, to you? Who are the top three most likely fits, most intriguing fits for the Cardinals now? Currently, they are free agents. Yeah, I think you know in the past few weeks as people have been asking me questions for like my inbox and stuff, you know, what's the likelihood that, you know, they spend big money on George Springer or DJ LeMahieu. I know he's not an outfielder, but um, he's still a top free agent. You know, I think I yeah. kind of have caution. He could play the outfield too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He could probably play anywhere. Um, I think <laughs> I've cautioned people to say, you know, take your eyes a little bit off those top, top free agents and, and look at this, the next tier um, or even the third tier, because that's where the Cardinals want to find their value. Players like David Dahl, players like Hunter Renfro, um, maybe Eddie Rosario, he might be creeping into the the top tier um, just because of what he can bring. Same with Kyle Schwarber, but, you know, those those outfielders, you know, in, I, you know, I hate labeling them by tiers because they all can bring plenty of good things and they all have their shortcomings or whatever those players who aren't going to command as big of a contract um, or as long of a contract, even um, they might sign one or two year deals, things like that. I think those are the, that's the group that Cardinals fans should kind of set their eye on. And there's lots of different ways to improve and there's going to be power at lots of different price points this off season um, as we've talked about and as we've seen. So I think that's, those are kind of that, that group is going to be the most intriguing um, as the Cardinals start to explore um, how they can improve. Do you have three that you think might be the best fits for the Cardinals? I would say Eddie Rosario, even though I know I just said that he mm-hmm. might go into that top tier, but I still think he can play. No, yeah, I mean, that that's, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. David Dahl and Hunter Renfro. Those are the guys that we've, okay. we've just talked about. Um, I know they're going to be names thrown around a lot, but I do think that they – what they bring 
is is exactly what the Cardinals need, and that's power and production in the outfield. And two of them are from the left side. You spent a summer there at Coors Field. What is your perception, your opinion of how we should consider production at Coors Field? David Dahl, uh, going into this past season, he had a really down 2020, a difficult 2020, um, ended with shoulder surgery. He had an 867 career OPS going into this season, was an all-star in 2019, but more than 900 of that OPS. So he was 770-ish. you know, on the road came from Coors Field. Now it's important to note that 770 would still have been really gangbusters <laughs> for the Cardinals this past year. Um, but that speaks more to where they've been than where they want to go. Um, so how do you, how do you look having been there, spent a lot of time covering, how do you look at production at Coors Field and think we ought to consider that? Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt that it, alters things I mean the ball flies there you I saw it every single day that I covered a game there I mean you see it every time you go to Coors Field I mean it just it flies and it's not even you can't even ignore it um but I do think that players can thrive in different environments um you look at kind of what DJ LeMahieu has done after he left Coors Field um, and started going with the Yankees. I know Yankee Stadium is interesting for hitters or whatever, but um, <laughs> I don't know. What, rather friendly, um, rather friendly rather for hitters. Friendly. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, he's shown that Corns Field, while yes, it can inflate the numbers, it's not just a, oh, you're only a good hitter at Corns Field. Um, you know, you can still win a batting title away from Corns Field. Um, that's what TJ LeMahieu does um, or did. And while David Dahl might not be, you know, DJ LeMahieu level, I do think that putting putting Rockies hitters in different environments and seeing what they can do is valuable and should be explored. Absolutely. Yeah, part of that, part of being a Rocky is also playing a lot of games at Petco and a lot of games at AT&T and a lot of games at Dodger Stadium against the Dodgers. And so there's some suppression of road numbers that you could say heighten that split a little bit. I mean, that, that has to be part of the conversation is the context of the fact that they go from, yes, a very friendly place that isn't just about power. It's about all the hits that you can find in shallow the outfield. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you saw that firsthand is, you know, like a, like a great center fielder there can rob hits because there's so much space, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of space to find singles. And, you know, the, the idea too, that they then go from there you know, out of altitude down to lower levels and then have to play in these ballparks that aren't exactly hitter friendly. So it, it does widen the gap. A and little bit. also, you know, the inconsistency of playing in those environments. I mean, you go from, like you just said, you go from, you know, low altitude to high altitude, low altitude, to high altitude. It's like you never really get a consistent, um, I guess, a consistent park or it allows you, it doesn't allow you to be consistent. Same thing goes for pitchers too. I know a lot of people have to adjust um, to what they're doing, whether they play for the Rockies or are playing against the Rockies in Coors Field, because you're, you're constantly moving around and you have to adjust to all these different environments. Um, So I do think that probably plays plays a factor as well. So let's, let's end with this question then, Annie, what happens if the Cardinals don't add 
to their offense? What happens if they don't make a move for one of these outfielders or can't or choose not to, or those outfielders choose to go elsewhere? What, what happens? I think we're going to see probably the exact same offense that we've seen in past, in the past two years. And the questions aren't going to change and the needs aren't going to change. Um, and so the result isn't going to change either. Um, I think that they, they have to figure out a way to improve and that's, most likely by adding a bat. Um, and I don't know exactly what bat it is. Um, I don't know exactly where they'll find it, but I think that, you know, if they don't, like there's going to be a lot more questions to be asked. Um, a lot of the same questions and then a, a lot more questions as to, you know, what kind of team this the Cardinals can be and, and will be. Do you, you think status quo is in a way actual regression? I think so. I mean, you know, you can say that you can say that, you know, the financials are weird and, you know, it's all the unknowns and uncertainties kind of limited what teams can do this year. But at the end of the day, what's your goal as a team? And the Cardinals have said their goal is to contend and their goal is to improve every year um, and, you know, get to the World Series. Um, I don't think they can do that with the offense that they have right now. I think a lot, you know, they need to a, improve from within, of course, every year players want to get better, but they also need to improve their roster. There's, there's, there are holes um, that their roster has, and you know they've addressed them, and, and they want to fill them with production. I guess that's what our conversation is in the end has been about here, right? About changing status <laughs> quo on the small scale in the sandbox that is baseball. The Cardinals need to do it on their offense, but then in the bigger, larger scale of just the way status quo has been let's say, well, I mean, it, it's been upended. It's evolved um, in baseball as a whole. So that, that, that I guess, brings us to a, a bit of a theme here. Yeah. That's great. Status quo is no fun. Always improve. Always always change is a good thing. Change is a great change thing. I can't wait. Jupiter. So do you think, you know, if, if we get to Jupiter, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of attention on the Marlins. That'll be fa- fantastic to watch. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'm excited for that. Um, I do hope that we get to Jupiter. Um, I will say that. that I hope that we get there and I hope that we can watch it play out. Um, I hope that, you know, maybe I can sneak over to a scrum and, and, you know, ask him any question. I think my life would be made then. Um, I think, uh, but let's just get to Jupiter first. Well, I encourage everybody to read Annie Rogers article there at MLB.com. It's uh, it's, it's still there. The, the headline is there she is in quotes, women in baseball react to Aang. Um, it's the, the comments, the quotes, the, the, I, I really, I, I got a sense in reading the story, you know, the, 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 I guess the joy, um, the enthusiasm, um, but also kind of like the call to action that was clear in all the conversations you had, Annie. It was, it was really, it was a really well done story. I appreciate that. Thank you. You can find all of Annie's work at MLB.com and Cardinals.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at Annie double underscore Rogers. That's at A-N-N-E double underscore Rogers. You can also find the best podcast in baseball and all of the constant Cardinals coverage at, at, at the post dispatch there at stltoday.com. The best podcast in baseball is also available anywhere. You get your podcast on iTunes. You can listen to individual episodes, download individual episodes, 
You can subscribe. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible and sponsorships make the podcast possible, which brings me to our sponsor. Get organized with Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closets, garage, office, pantry, and more. That's Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. 1-800-BY-D-E-S-I-G-N. 1-800-BY-DESIGN, Closet by Design of St. Louis. Annie, thank you so much for joining me here to talk about this, to talk about not just where the Cardinals head, but also where baseball is going. This has been a wonderful conversation. I hope you have a healthy holidays and at some point in time in 2021, hope to see you in person and not just in a Zoom. Yeah, I guess until then, I will I will see you in our little Zoom boxes. Um, but, but thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. This has been great. For Annie Rogers of MLB.com, I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. This has been the best podcast in baseball. Talk to you soon. I, I want to first state here that I will not be part of a sequel in the TikTok. People are asking for it, Derek. People are asking for it. We need to <laughs> please the people. I think that no people are asking for that. They they are. They I mean, I put out a call for inbox questions, you know, almost weekly and every time there's at least one person saying, When are we gonna get a a second TikTok? Um, you know, I think people really want it and I think uh it might it might bring a lot of joy to people's lives. I think they'll be okay if it's Hummel that's in it. I think that's what they really want. They really want Rick. I think everybody brings something to the TikTok, um, and we all gotta, we all have to be back in it if we're gonna do it. I have lots of ideas, you know. I just need to have the ability to share those ideas. I like to think that I bring stoicism <laughs> to the TikTok. That, that's I did appreciate all rigid stoicism. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, I did appreciate all of the uh, the gifts that came out of out of that TikTok of you know all of our faces, and I was like, oh man, that's gonna never leave the internet. <laughs>